Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. That's our friend Tim Kirchin of ESPN, and we're hearing the same things, that baseball is thinking about having an announcement made in the middle of this month in which they would start spring training in early June and start baseball on July 1st. And Michelle, I see no reason why we should not think that, although there is a lot of ground to cover, isn't there, between now and the time that they would start a spring training in a little over a month. When Tim mentioned testing, you have to make sure that everyone gets tested, and then you have to wait for the results of that test Mm -hmm. for everyone to test negative. Or imagine if one team has X amount of players that test positive. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just a lot of factors that go into not only getting to the point where they can get this done, but then after getting the testing done, there's certainly still obstacles even after that. And while Tim is confident, Ken Rosenthal wrote a piece this morning and by the way, he provided the same sort of information. The Indians had a Zoom meeting with their team and told them to at least have a, a rough date of June 10th to start working uh, working out and getting going for spring training. But the Ken Rosenthal piece, as is reasonable, is much more cautious and we do know, and Tim mentioned this, and we, we just know that there are going to be road bump, uh, bumps in the road here mm-hmm. as we try to move towards a baseball season and have a baseball season. With the way this pandemic has changed our country, there are going to be uh, halts and stops and stutters as we try to get towards having baseball every day. Yeah, and while we understand that that's the reality, I think so many of us are just reading a story like the one that Rosenthal put out, looking at you know the dates that are mentioned, June 10th, July 1st, and we're hanging on to that with everything that we have because we were so desperate for sports to come back. And while we do acknowledge that this is a fluid situation and that there are a lot of obstacles still to be overcome for us to get there, the fact that they're ready to potentially put a hard date on this that we can circle on the calendar and say hey we can maybe watch a live stream of some spring training workouts or it'll be on a network or whatever I'll take it I don't care what you're willing to give me at this point I'm going to take it and I have to believe and you made this point yesterday if baseball gets going the two other sports that are being played right now aren't going to be far behind, are they? Because if you're hockey, you can't say, well, baseball's going and we're not and we're just going to wait. Or if you're the NBA, even as quiet as they've been, you can't say, well, okay, we'll just let them own sports. Because at the end of the day, all of this is going to be about money and having your games televised and getting the TV money. Yeah, I know baseball is uh, a sport where people are separated. There's not necessarily contact they're kind of socially distancing themselves on the field anyway so it's probably easier for them to be the first domino to fall as far as you know that goes but yeah I would imagine if you're the other leagues and you're looking at the money you're losing and the potential of a lost season and baseball says hey this is the date we're coming back that they're not going to be far behind no doubt about it that's Michelle I'm Randy and we want you to know that here at Hubbard Radio we are providing deserving deliveries every day saying thank you to those helping care for our community. Today's very deserving delivery is going to the great folks working at St. Clair Hospital. Their awesome staff will be enjoying 100 meals today delivered by Sauce on the Side. Those meals are courtesy of Hubbard St. Louis and our good friends at Plaza Tire Service. Thank you to 
Plaza Tire Service and our continued gratitude to all of those great folks working in our medical community on the front lines from our station and the entire Hubbard St. Louis radio family. And if you want to know what's going on here at 101 ESPN, you can always go to Michelle and Randy's social media pages, right? Yes, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at msmallman. And I am at Randy Carricker on Twitter at RJ Carricker on the Insta, as, <laughs> as we kids call it. And then we're always... Uh... <laughs> IG Randy, right? Yep, there you go. And sometimes I'll put a selfie up so I can be an IG model. You know... I actually had a conversation with uh, my friend Steve Cerruti on my podcast about Instagram models. What constitutes an Instagram model? Because a lot of people are out there claiming to be Instagram models and they're posting photos as if they're an Instagram model. But what's the true criteria? If a brand is paying you to post the photo, if you're getting X amount of likes for the photo, or can anyone out there just say, you know what, today I'm going to be an Instagram model? Yes, but you have to consistently be a female that's scantily dressed and takes pictures of herself and puts said picture on the Insta or the IG, then you can become <laughs> an Instagram model. And ordinarily, the way society works is a scantily clad woman will get a lot of likes. So that way she can become an Instagram model. But if I tell people that I'm an Instagram model mm-hmm. and I push out that photo and no one's paying me to do it and it doesn't generate a lot of likes, am I still an Instagram model? In your own mind. (laughs) Yes. So basically, if you believe it, it is true? Exactly. Okay, great. So yeah, follow uh, Michelle (laughs) M. Smallman on Instagram and on Twitter. And I think I should clarify, you're not going to get those type of photos out of Randy or I. No, you're not. And you can always follow the station, 101 ESPN on Twitter, Instagram, uh, the book, Facebook and all of that stuff. (laughs) The book. book. Did you see the movies? Uh, Was it called... Social the social network. network. Social network, yeah. And it was originally called The Facebook. I remember when The Facebook happened. Well, you were in school. I was in college at the time. And I remember Illinois, where I went to college, was one of the first public universities to get The Facebook. And mm-hmm. I came home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, whatever it was, and was talking to my friends from high school. And I was like, do you guys have The Facebook? <laughs> and they had not gotten it yet. A lot of them hadn't even heard of it. And I was like, oh, my God, The Facebook is a game changer. And we felt so cool that we were one of the first public schools to get it. And, you know, for a while, it was only college. College kids right. that were allowed to use the Facebook, and then obviously and it adapted and changed. I, I love it now because it's such a kind, welcoming community <laughs> that uh, everybody really cares about everybody else and respects everybody else's opinions. So that's one of the reasons that I really do enjoy going to the. The Facebook these days. Yeah, and I think a lot of people on the Facebook are just, they're really tempered in what they say. Mm-hmm. They they tend to hold back and not really reveal what they're truly thinking <laughs> or things. I always wonder about people who, whether it's on Twitter or on Facebook, some of the things that they post. Would you be comfortable with that if you were driving down the highway and your comment or your tweet was on a billboard? Because that's essentially mm-hmm. what it is. While you're looking at it on your phone and it might not seem personal, but if you're driving down the road and you're looking at a billboard of something hateful you said or something you know controversial that you said, would you feel as comfortable with it? Well, and especially in this day and age where if you are applying for a job, 
that employer more likely than not is going to be reviewing all of your social media. Are you comfortable saying that? Because when you put it out on social media, you are saying it. Are you comfortable saying that to an employer? Probably not. Can I pitch a television show idea that I have Mm -hmm. for you? Sure. Um, Well, for anybody really out there, if you are in the biz of making TV shows, holler at your girl. I always wanted to do a show that was kind of a spin on To Catch a Predator, but it was called To Catch a Troll. And you find someone who is just a blatant internet troll that that makes someone's life miserable, a, a complete mm-hmm. stranger's life miserable, where you constantly are saying hateful and rude things to them. And I want, again, to take a billboard and put it outside your employer. Just on, you know how on a car you can have yeah. a driving billboard. Just put it outside your employer every day that has your handle, your name, and it just keeps flashing the things that you are saying. That's a great idea, <laughs> right? And I the, would watch that. And then the other thing is get a, a catfish element. Have you ever seen the catfish show? Of course. So you get a catfish element too, where you send a camera crew yes. to that troll and talk to them about what they were thinking and what they were hoping to get out of that post. Kind of ambush them, like Billy yeah. on the Street style. Totally. That'd be great. So yeah, it's To Catch a Predator meets Billy on the Street meets Catfish. Okay. Ratings bonanza. We're always thinking here <laughs> on Character and Smallman. Didn't take long, but we're always thinking. <laughs> Next up, you're killing me, Smalls, on 101 ESPN. Hey, we started selling Dunctionary t-shirts yesterday with all of the great uh, Chris Duncanisms, and you can get them at 101ESPN.com, and it has the list of great Chris Duncan terms like bevertizing, which is to take alcoholic liquids, see man soda, into the mouth for swallowing. And this is on the back of the shirt. The, the front says CD16. Uh we also have uh, Oppo Taco, a boomski that lands in the opposite field. Naturally. It's an Oppo Taco. So those are some of the Dunctionary items on the Dunctionary t-shirt that you can get for 25 bucks at 101ESPN.com and proceeds donated to the Chris Duncan Memorial Scholarship Fund. How awesome was yesterday? It was Just great. remembering Dunk and talking to so many of his teammates, Tony LaRusso's manager, mm-hmm. his, his wife, his family. Just remembering what a special person he was and the impact that he had on so many people's lives. I was listening all throughout the day and I just, it it really made me laugh. It lifted my spirits and I hope that a lot of the listeners out there got the same thing. Yeah, it, it, great memories. We loved it, and I'm, I'm with you. The whole station, uh, Rivs and BK, and the Fast Lane did great work in honoring Dunk's memory as well. All right, time for You're Killing Me, Smalls. All right, Randy, Tua Tungavailoa went with the number five pick in April's draft to the Miami Dolphins. You may remember that during his days at Alabama, he wore the number 13. Well, obviously, at the Miami Dolphins, the number 13 is not an option for him. Why not? Because of the great Dan Marino. Oh. Dan the man, number 13. Your all-time sports hero, right? Still? Oh, love Dan Marino. Gosh. You know, when we were remembering Don Shula, going back mm-hmm. and thinking about those great Marino Shula memories, I mm, sports tragedy that he never got yeah. that Super Bowl victory. But anyway, a lot of people were speculating, what number will Tua wear? Well, he has landed on it, and he's going to wear number one. Not a fan. No, really. No. I, I, I see Tua as a double-digit guy, 10, 11, 12 one of the maybe even if he wants to wanted to go single digits nine, but no, I don't like the idea of Tua being a number one. Let's see, you had Cam in the Super Bowl wearing number one. I believe he's the only number one ever to even play in a Super Bowl. 
not that there haven't been great quarterbacks. Warren Moon was number one, but I'm just not a fan of number one for any quarterback, and I'm, I'm bummed out that Tua took that. But don't you think he's kind of making a statement here? You have to have a certain I'm amount of confidence. Yeah, I mean, Nelly said it best. But you have to have a certain amount of confidence to say, I'm going to wear number one all the time, right? Yeah, you do. So if you're a Dolphins fan, don't you like that Tua's already exhibiting that confidence in, in himself? I hope it's confidence. I hope that he doesn't aggravate his hip injury in game one. <laughs> oh, Randy. <laughs> Yeah, let's hope not. <laughs> let's certainly hope not. No, no transitions. You're today. killing me, Smalls. There we go. There we go. This is still a work in project. Pro- project. <laughs> still a work in process. Excuse me. All right. Another young quarterback, Randy, is Drew Locke. Obviously, Mizzou product with the Denver Broncos. And he's having a virtual offseason. And a lot of people are wondering if quarterbacks are going to be able to focus as much, study the playbook, or if this is going to benefit them maybe to have to be confined and learning the offense. Well, he was talking to the Broncos website, and he was talking about having that experience under his belt and having the carryover was really helping that. But he said, it's easier for me to learn because I found the way that – that's fit me best as far as learning a new offense goes. Picking this one up has happened a little faster. I'd say 10 times as quick as I did the first time. So I think that opened up a lot of eyes and ears for Broncos fans saying, if this is what we saw out of Drew Locke early on and he's picking up the offense that much faster, what can we expect out of him next season? That's great to hear because what he ran at Mizzou with the Josh Heupel offense and then uh, after that, uh, the the uh, who was the guy they had the last year he was there, the former Cowboys coach? I forget. But anyway, he, he got fired. He's a non-factor anymore. <laughs> but Drew basically ran the offense in his senior year at Mizzou, and then last year was the first year he ever had to really learn an intricate offense. So the fact that he has figured out a system in his head where he can learn, I think, and it was Derek Dooley, by the way, yeah. at Mizzou. Uh, the fact that he has figured it out a way is a huge benefit to him because he does have to conduct the offense. I always thought, in addition to the injuries, that was one of the things that set Sam Bradford back here, is that they went through offensive coordinator and head coach after offensive coordinator at a head coach, and there was never any consistency for him. So I'm glad that Drew already feels comfortable in that Broncos offense. And he's a smart kid. He is. Okay, we're going to end our young quarterbacks conversation with this. Eli Manning was talking to Sirius XM NFL Radio on Monday, and he was talking about Daniel Jones. And he said, quote, I think it's going to be easier this year for him to step up and be that leader. Last year was probably awkward for him. Me being there, me being in the meeting rooms, just kind of the whole dynamic. Me being gone, and hey, he's the quarterback, he's the guy. For him to have that control and the authority over receivers in the offensive line. He would know because Kurt Warner was with the Giants in his rookie year in 2004. And Kurt was overarching and a fan favorite and in the room all the time and the two-time MVP and been to a couple of Super Bowls. So I can totally get why Manning will feel that way about Daniel Jones. And he did have the chance to observe Daniel Jones for a year. I have to believe that aside from the fact that they have a new head coach and offensive coordinator, that Jones is going to have 
he's going to be able to take more of a leadership role with that franchise now that Eli is gone. I, I think Eli's right on the mark there. I agree. And when you think about it, how awkward must it have been for Daniel Jones? You know, you you come in as as a young player who was the leader on your team. You're a high pick, but you kind of have to be in that, I don't want to say a subservient role, but certainly a number two role behind Eli Manning, even though there's all of this stuff being touted about you. And you can't really unleash your leadership skills or become that main alpha guy that your teammates look to with a guy like Eli Manning, two-time Super Bowl winner, kind of casting that shadow. It's harsh, but sometimes when a coach makes that decision, he just kind of kind of has to cast the other guy off to the side. It, it was harsh when Martz did that to Warner, right, mm-hmm. to promote Mark Bulger. But it's better than having the veteran backup twist in the wind, and maybe he'll start, maybe he won't. That happened with Jim Hart and Neil Lomax with the Cardinals back in the day and obviously happened here with those guys. And I'm sure that to an extent that's the way it was with the Giants last year. So from that perspective and the fact that Eli just wasn't what he had been in the past, Mm -hmm. it's really good that he's not there anymore. Randy, we've talked a lot about the last dance, and one of the things that got a lot of run in the first two episodes was when Michael Jordan was referring to those early Bulls teams that he was on and the Bulls teams prior to him as the cocaine circus, which got a lot of people talking about maybe the extracurricular activities of those Bulls team teams well. Craig Hodges was not pleased that Michael Jordan had that to say, and he was talking about it and said, one of the things as players, we call this a fraternity. So I'm watching the first episode, and I was upset about the cocaine circus. That bothered me because I was thinking about the brothers who are in on that picture with you that you have to explain to their family who is getting ready to watch this great Michael Jordan documentary event, and you know you're on that team, and you have to explain that to a 12-year-old boy. He didn't deny it, did he? (laughs) (laughs) So, hey, that was not what Michael's focus was. And that was part and parcel of what sports was in that era. There was a lot of cocaine in that era. Baseball had their issues. Football did. Basketball obviously did. And Michael was just telling the story. And if uh, unless the guy is going to deny it, I really don't have much sympathy for him having to tell the 12-year-old who saw that, and I hope they were watching the ESPN2 version. Yeah, correct. Exactly. And obviously, Hodges was a a teammate of Jordan during that Mm -hmm. time. And yeah, I wouldn't be thrilled about it if I was on that team either. But you could always turn to your kid and say, I didn't participate in that. I mean, there's a pretty simple way way to get out of that, I think. (laughs) You know, the kid is probably only grasping certain parts of it. And if you say, yep, you know, use it as a a teaching lesson. Use it as a learning tool. You know, drugs are bad. This is what you shouldn't do. I just think that you're more upset about getting outed. That's totally what it is. And yeah, you could have, you know, if it wasn't for that night in that room, I could have been a good long-term teammate with Michael Jordan. But he didn't like me because I was in that room in Peoria. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Thanks, Michelle. You got it, Randy. That is You're Killing Me Smalls on Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to visit with the professor, John Clayton. Talk some NFL next on 101 ESPN. We always enjoy our visits with the professor, John Clayton, who joins us from Seattle. Good morning, sir. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Everything's good here in St. Louis. I I trust you're staying safe. And as we've talked a lot before uh, with you about, John, everything really got started with this COVID-19 pandemic in Seattle. Where do you guys stand right now? Well, it's. I mean, the numbers are still down, although there was a big spike yesterday in deaths. It was like... 21 deaths where there's been about on average of maybe uh, 16 or 13 in the last week. But the, the test positive tests were down to 132 yesterday. 
which is a pretty good small number. And it's really been below 500 for about, uh, oh, I'd say almost four weeks. So that's been that's been encouraging. And, of course, they're going to continue everything as far as we're in phase one. They're going to go into phase two probably on June 1st. So the restaurants still are only doing takeout. They've opened up the parks. But uh, they've done a good job of keeping the numbers down, and they hope it continues. John, before we get to some questions about current the current state of the NFL, earlier this week we got the news that legendary head coach Don Shula had passed away. Do you have a favorite Shula memory that you could share with us? Well, I, I mean, just how intense he was. I mean, how good he was. And I was, I was so fortunate because you know, I started covering the NFL in 1972 when I was in high school. I was a senior in high school, and so I was covering the Steeler games and, of course, uh, sent him for a paper in St. Mary's, PA. And so I had the pleasure of, you know, covering that AFC championship game, uh, the, the championship game, Pittsburgh and Miami. And uh, Shula was coaching that, and that was the undefeated season. So that was my tip-off. And then, of course, the one thing I had to do when I was at the Pittsburgh Press, uh, I had to go down one time to uh, Miami, talk to Don Shula, talk to – I did a story on his uh, sons who were coaching. I did a story on Dan Marino. And then the fun story they wanted me to do was the story on Mark Duper, Super Duper. And so I ended up calling his high school track coach, and the track coach told me, it's like, oh, by the way, you know, his name's not Duper. Like, what do you mean? It's like it's Dupas. It's like Mark Dupas. And so uh, I ended up finding that's true. I wrote the story. I got called into Don Shula's office uh, after the game, and he just reamed me out because he <laughs> thought that affected his concentration for the game. SI came back in the next week and uh, did the same story, showed pictures of where he grew up and how in the mailbox it was Dupas. But, uh, you know, Don just blew me up. But then <laughs> after that, he was fine with me. So uh, I just you know, respect what he, he cares about his players and, and he, any distraction, he's going to go at somebody. John, I want to follow up quickly on that. You mentioned that you were, what did you say, 17 in high school when you first started writing. How did that happen? Take us through that early chapter in your career, because that's amazing that you were able to start so young. Oh, yeah. What happened was that, uh, you know, my father lived in St. Mary's, PA. And so in the summertime, I was able to go to the St. Mary's Daily Press, and he set that up so that I could, uh, you know, cover cover some things before my senior year and cover softball games. Uh, you know, Straub's Brewery was real big, and the Straub family was all there, and they all played softball. And so I uh, I covered that, and you know, worked at the you know, worked didn't get paid, but I worked at the St. Mary's Daily Press through that summer. And so then I came back, and uh, you know, they said, hey, why don't you go cover some Steeler games? So I applied for credentials and was approved and so covered training camp would write uh two three stories a week for the st mary's daily press covered them all through the immaculate reception and then uh you know out of that uh i started you know meeting people and so like for example uh, i met the play-by-play announcer of the pittsburgh condors the aba team and so i was doing stats for him so it just kind of started my career when i was 17. That's amazing. The Professor John Clayton with us on 101 ESPN. And, John, we learned a couple of days ago that a fourth worker at SoFi Stadium in L.A. tested positive for the coronavirus. It seems to me this is a little bit irresponsible on the part of the people building the stadium to keep doing it when people keep testing positive. Yeah, no question. And at some point, uh, they're probably going to have to stop that. That's why, like, for example, I don't know what it is 
in St. Louis. But uh, until this past Monday, they were limiting the type of construction. Like, for example, if anybody was trying to do any work on a house or anything like that that wasn't essential, you know, they could come. If they were even giving just a bid, they could lose their license. And so uh, that stopped the construction work. And so you'd have to wonder how many more cases are going to take to be able to do it. But then, of course, the other question is, you know, Who's going to be uh, allowed to go in the stadium? Because we don't know where it's going to go as far as you know the teams being able to play there. But yeah, it's a, it's a concern. And at some point, the, the more that have it, and again, you, I mean, you, for the most part, I mean, how close are people working? Because again, I don't know about the six foot uh, distance rule and all that, because most uh, it can be spread out. But yeah, I think that they have to make a be- do a better job of monitoring that, or they're going to have to shut it down. John, are you buying into the Jared Stidham hype that the Pats are selling? Uh, the uh, the hype that he's going to be the starting quarterback, 100%. Yeah, because I think everything that Bill Belichick has done has indicated that he's going to have Stidham as the quarterback. And he likes him. I know if you talk to people that go on scouting trips when he was uh, trying to draft him and all that stuff, heard the good things that he said, and to a point where it's like, you know, certainly in the back of his mind, if Tom Brady would leave, Stidham's going to be the quarterback. But you notice they didn't draft the quarterback even though they had 10 picks, they did not make any moves toward Andy Dalton. You know, they haven't made a move toward Cam Newton. So I don't buy that it's going to work because, you know, now you've got Stidham uh, on a team that still lacks a lot of talent because they've chased so much talent away. So that's why Buffalo, I think, is going to win the division in the AFC East. And uh, they're going to struggle for the Patriots just to have a 500 season. But Jared Stidham, I think, is going to be their quarterback. Speaking of Cam Newton, John, where do you think he's going to end up? Hard to tell. I think he's almost in a position right now where he's going to have to just wait till uh, close to summertime to see if there's an injury or something happens because you know he has a, he's had two surgeries. Oh, you know because he's had the problem with the Liz Frank. He's had the shoulder problems, and so there's no physicals being allowed right now. And so players like Jadeveon Clowney and Cam Newton, they just have to sit and wait. And I don't know when this is going to open up to a point where you can go get a team physical. And it can't just be you know a physical going to a, a regular doctor. I mean, the team's got to check him out because if they're going to invest money in him, they're going to have to have the team do it. And so I think right now he's on hold until June or July and maybe even longer. Mike Clowney, if he goes back or he desires to go back to Seattle, uh, might that be quicker because they know him and they know what his physical status is? 100%, yeah. And that's why it's so baffling that uh, he hasn't made the move back. You know, Because they've now, you know, I know they started out offering like about $13 million, but they've gone as high as $16 million. Now that doesn't equal what he was hoping for because he was hoping for 22 to 23 million, but uh, that didn't happen. Then he lowered it to 17 million and nobody was even budging that. When he talked yesterday to Mark Berman down in Houston on his podcast, he said he's had a few offers, but my, that's my guess is that, you know, Miami offered him early at 18, five, then uh, he turned that down. Then I think that Cleveland was kind of sniffing it around at the 17 mark, but that's old. And now I think all it is is Tennessee. And my guess is if he doesn't sign with Seattle, he might end up signing like a one-year, $10 million deal in Tennessee to be with Mike Vrabel. But again, he's losing a lot of money, and right now he's not even close to making any kind of decision. Professor, great to have you with us. Thanks so much for the time. We do appreciate it. Be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks. Thank you. That is John Clayton, the professor on 101 ESPN. By the way, that uh, L.A. stadium, they, they say we aren't slowing down. That uh, doesn't matter what the coronavirus does to our workers, our quote-unquote family members, we're going to keep building because we've got to 
damn Kenny Chesney concert that we have to start on August 1st. Are you surprised, Randy? Not at all. <laughs> no, it's amazing. So, And maybe uh, a couple of uh, lawsuits will get that thing up, unless they had them sign waivers. But maybe it'll get up above 5 or $6 billion. You hate to see it, don't you? It'd you just terrible. hate to see it. That's a shame. It's great to have John Clayton with us on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you on a Wednesday. And we want to remind you again that uh, in honor of our friend Chris Duncan, we've got our Dunctionary t-shirts available at 101ESPN.com. Are you going to be wearing one of those fabulous red Dunctionary t-shirts? Of course I am. Yeah, I am too. What's your favorite Dunkism? There's so many great ones. Yeah, um, probably the one that I use the most is tight cheeks. <laughs> you know, because it's literally, a, it's a golf term. You cannot play golf effectively with tight cheeks. It's hitting a baseball and play, hitting a golf ball yeah. are so similar, but you have to be relaxed. So, how about you? Oh, you've got the boom ski. You've got the say, boom there's stick. So many Apo Taco, though. I, I think of him a lot yeah. in that scenario. Apo Taco was classic dunk, and of course, legendarily is Mansoda. Yeah, I mean that to me is when you think of any dunk is a Mansoda's the top of that list. Coming up, Danny Mac is going to join us as we head towards scoops with Danny Mac here on 101 ESPN. Stick around the crossover next on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac is coming up in uh, just a few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Michelle and Randy with you and during the break, Dan and I were talking about Eugene Koo, who was the interpreter for... Get over here, Koo. <laughs> Is that what you did? A lot of guys did, yeah. <laughs> Koo, get over here. He was the interpreter for Sumwan Oh when Sumwan <laughs> was a member of the Cardinals. And now he and Sumwan... Well, here's the story. Sumwan isn't pitching because he's finally serving the suspension for gambling in the Korean League. So he, he left there. Michael Jordan is nodding in approval. <laughs> yes, he is. Yes. So okay. Sumwan went to the Japanese League the car, so that he could avoid the suspension. Right. And then he came here. And, and he was good. Oh, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And so he came here. He had, uh, Sumwan had his interpreter, uh, Eugene Koo. Well, now Sumwan isn't playing. And Matt Williams, the former giant and the former manager of the Nationals and the Diamondbacks, I guess he was third base coach for the Diamondbacks, but he is over in that Korean league, and Eugene Koo is his interpreter over there. Eugene was a fun guy to be around. He always came to the ballpark with a smile, kind of just hopping around, having fun, and he was at the hip of Sung Wan Oh, who is the Stone Buddha. So, oh, yeah, right. you know, I think if we would be able to talk to the Stone Buddha like one-on-one, we wouldn't have gotten anything to know about the Stone Buddha because he was the Stone Buddha. But when Eugene would get, the you know, some of the stuff from the Stone Buddha, it came out very nice and pleasant. It was just <laughs> happy smiles, flowers, everything, sunshine, rainbows. It was great. So, you know, what's interesting about Sun Wan Oh is that in the – and I think it's going to happen with, with KK – is that the the league, you can only see so much video on a guy, and he hid the ball so well that they just hadn't had never seen him. So he was at an advantage. And then the league kind of caught up with him, and I was seeing that in spring training with KK. I mean, there are guys that looked foolish against him. Now he's got good stuff, but uh, I do think there's something, the fact that you just haven't seen a guy. Mm-hmm. There's no you know real track record of being you know in person, facing him live. And you can only look at so much video. So that's a, a benefit, I think, that the Cardinals looked at in bringing him here. That has to be a pretty fun gig to be a translator for a professional athlete. It's a hell of a gig. Yeah, you get to be on the field. 
old. You get to be in the locker room, and all you have to do is repeat what you're hearing to the other person. Well, that's the business side. <laughs> yes. Okay. And then you go out with the guys, and you're not making their money, so they're you know feeling a little responsibility to maybe pick up the check. Let's go have a steak dinner. Let's go gambling. Let's have a little fun. And it all is, you know, you're you're basically a paid hanger on. Okay, you're, you're like part of the posse, so you're in. And that's what happens with some of the interpreters. It's uh, something that happens now in Major League Baseball. For for those that speak Spanish, there is a Spanish interpreter with clubs for guys from the Dominican or Venezuela, whatever the case may be. And uh, obviously the guys coming from Korea have an interpreter, and that was mandated by baseball. And so those guys have a lot of fun. I mean, they're, they're doing something. Like Eugene, his whole thing was like, I like sports. I'm a fan. He was just like anybody else. And mm-hmm. now all of a sudden I'm thrust into being on, you know, the private jets and limos and steak dinners and running around with these guys. He's like, this is a hell of a deal, man. It's <laughs> awesome. a lot of fun. That's great. The reason this came up is because Dan has been watching the Korean League baseball. It's been interesting. Um, so the the third base coach, first base coach, the umpires, they're all wearing masks. And then they... What they do on television, what I've noticed, is that they're trying to shoot the game really tight with their camera shots because there's nobody in the stands. Now, they do have, like, mannequins and stuff, and I found it – I don't know why they did this, but they were cheerleaders. And I'm like, why? <laughs> you know, what's the what's the point of having cheerleaders? And they're on top of the dugout doing their thing. The, the league is different from American-style baseball because it's been talked about a lot. There are bat flips, and that's accepted when you hit a long fly ball or what might be a home run. It's almost an art, right? Yeah, and guys really get into it, and there's no repercussions with that. The only time there's repercussions are, you know, if a guy would get one in his ribs, <laughs> is when a young player shows up a veteran. If that happens, then you, you take one in the rib. The other thing is, too, there's a lot of bowing and tipping your cap as a sign of respect. And I was doing some research on this. The KBO actually went to, like, the humidifier of, of their baseballs last year. So it went from a really hitter's league, a lot of home runs, a lot of offense, to dropping it last year. And so you're not seeing – maybe this year you will because they're going to try to create excitement. But um, you didn't see the kind of offense that maybe you had seen in, in years past. I haven't had a chance to watch it. Dan, you mentioned the mannequins and the cheerleaders. What was the, the noise aspect? Were they pumping in? They were piping it in. They were. And how was that? Well, I think, and I, I need to find out more. I, I know they're piping in some on the in the in the um, in the actual stadium, but it sounded like they were doing some of that to be created on the the telecast too. Uh-huh. So it did feel like you were watching a game. I mean, like a, as much as you could. I mean, you knew what was going on. You could hear more of the the talk on the field, which I think is something that um, players and coaches will have to be mindful of because mm-hmm. if you're in the batter's box, you're going to hear. Like when guys are talking, if you're a catcher, you're going to hear that kind of stuff, that conversation that normally you would never hear. So I do think um, that they will pipe in something, but it did seem to to have some type of atmosphere in watching the game. Along those lines, when they televise golf next month, I wonder what's going to happen with that communication between caddy and golfer. Because they're going to have to be distanced, right? They're going to have to be six feet away from each other. And usually those guys are talking pretty quietly. I would think that that'll be a different dynamic for television with those guys. Well, I think one of the things that we're going to find out with whether it's baseball or basketball or golf is that miking up a player or a caddy and knowing going forward you are going to be live, that that's part of what we're going to do. You know, you think about in racing, we, we these guys are going to go 500 miles an hour and we stick a microphone in front of them the minute that they hit the gas pedal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, just trying to give you insight into what it's like. 
ESPN during the, the spring games did have microphones on guys. I thought that was fun. Some of that stuff cool. was fun. Um, and in golf, I think that's really I, – I, to me, I, and I love golf. I know you guys love it too. I would be fascinated to hear Brooks Kepka being – you know, 200 yards out and being in between clubs and saying, okay, what's my wind? Great. Okay. Where's the pin placement? Yeah. You're going to have to get it up here. You're going to have to do that. And then see him do it. Mm-hmm. Like we just, we, we have commentators that guess he's going to hit this. He's going to try to get it this way, but to actually have the guy say that I'm doing it, that is something you have to think about. And as the sports numbers in all the, all sports are losing billions of dollars as they drop. I think it's imperative to bring fans into the game, all these games, to make the product as sellable as you can to make sure that those ratings are as high as you can, and that's one way to do it. Do you have a, a distance that you don't have a club for? For me, it's 110 yards. I, I hit my pitching wedge 120. Can I say uh, everything? Yeah, no, you're good. I, and I hit, uh, I've got an A wedge that I hit 100 yards. Yeah. I don't have a 110-yard club. Well, you, you may have to choke down a little bit. Uh-huh. You know, you thought about firing it in and trying to check it on the, really on the green. If the wind's coming a little bit, you don't want to get it up too high. I mean, you got you to think this thing through, man. It's a thinking man's game. Come on. Yeah, you're, you're telling me Wait a minute, I think. am telling you. Yeah, that's why we're, again, I'll say it again. That's why we're in this business. We're not real smart. We tried to do, I tried to do math today. We were summarily shot down by the texters. Yeah. What, what were you doing? Uh, so it was... Uh, if we're going to play two-thirds of the baseball games and players are only going to get 60% of their salary for those two-thirds of the game. So roughly 100 games, 60%. Okay, yeah. yeah. But that's what they would get So if the owners had their way. But I don't have to worry about it because players are going to win. You know where this thing's going, in my opinion? Hmm. 50-50 revenue share. It's, you know, it's interesting, Dan. In 1994, the strike that wiped out the World Series – the owners offered a 50-50 revenue share and a salary cap and a salary floor, and the players said, no way, never. It was yeah. Don Fear. And now players would kill for that. Well, it's changed. Everything's changed. Yep. And coming back, the landscape of the sport of how we watch it is going to change. I firmly believe that. I'm going to actually talk about that in the show, but I also think that the economic aspect of this has got to change. And it's going to take a while to get back because we're going to have a shortened season. We already know that. Mm-hmm. And then what are the numbers going to look like when you come out of this, when you've got roughly 40% of the revenue for the owners with fannies in the seats? That's not going to happen, potentially. It's got to change. If you want to play, it's going to have to change. And you're going to have to adjust like every single person in our society has to adjust right now. That's what Michelle said, and you guys are exactly right. That You have to understand that there is a pandemic going on. Yeah. You're, it's not just about you. Right. There's other things going on here, and we need to make adjustments. Looking forward to Scoops with Danny Mac. You're always great. Looking forward to it. A lot of news at the top. Uh, some news on the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Get into the minor leagues a little bit. Also visit with Jason Isringhouse, and I know you guys visited with him yesterday, mm-hmm. but we talk about more of what's happening uh, with Jordan Hicks and some of the guys that he's de- uh, dealing with, and then we'll get to some text and mic drops as well. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Freeze Pops doing a great job, as always, as our producer, Colin Surrey, running the board. Michelle, always a pleasure to be with you in the morning. It was fun, Randy. See you tomorrow. Yep. We'll be back at it tomorrow with Carriker and Smallman. Danny Mack is next on 101 ESPN.